Welcome to The Game Doctor, where I, Dr. Phil, diagnose games on how fun they are, offer evidence-based strategy advice, and give a second opinion on what could make games even better. And of course, this is the home of the Rosen blog. Now let's get into the episode. Hello everyone, this is Phil, and welcome to The Game Doctor. And in this episode, I'm going to cover a couple of games that I played uh, back last month, December 2022, and hope everyone is having a great 2023. So the highlighted games I'm going to cover come from the poll that I posted last month, or uh, yeah, at the beginning of last month, on what games I should focus on. Um, New games, or games that are new to me, uh, some games that were kind of the latest hotness back about a month or so ago. And also to cover a game that I got 10 plays of, and so, you know, diving in a little bit deeper into the game experience to see what it was like. Um, just, you know, and I, I want to give a lot of games their fair share of, of what they have to offer. And if it's a game that is easily played online, for example, it's easy to get those reps in and still have that experience. Perhaps not the physical experience, but at least the mechanisms and uh, thematic integration that they offer. So first, I'm going to cover Unconscious Mind, which was uh, voted highly by uh, you listeners of the poll, or uh, of the podcast, uh, who participated in the poll. And uh, and then we'll cover Underwater Cities afterwards. So yeah, let's talk about Unconscious Mind. So in this game, well, I guess first to cover some specs of the game. So Unconscious Mind is produced by Fantasia Games, who most recently put out Endless Winter. Uh, the designers include Laskus, Johnny Pack, Yoma, and Antonio Zacks, as listed on Board Game Geek. Artists include Andrew Bosley and Vincent Dutre. Uh, the, uh, it's a game for one to four players, plays in about an hour to two hours, and is weighted at 3.68. So far, uh, it looks like it's rated as uh, collectively rated at a 7.9 on Board Game Geek. It was kickstarted a couple of months ago and should be shipping out later this year. So, in Unconscious Mind, uh, what you do is uh, thematically you are a professor, and everyone you know is a kind of a professor or a treating psychologist. Um, who works together with uh, Dr. Freud, Sigmund Freud, in the um, the golden age of, say, you know, uh, psychoanalysis and, and, you know, that vein of psychotherapy uh, in Vienna. And uh, what you do, basically, is you're, you're going around Vienna and uh, treating patients and, um, pub- you know, publishing uh, theses, uh, citing others as well, um, all abstracted by a worker placement board with uh, kind of a set collection um, aspect to it, and uh, with with a little bit of rondelle movement as well. If if you were to sum up this game, um, you know, like on your turn, uh, what you basically do is you I, you choose an action that you can take with one of your ideas, which are your workers in this game. Um, and then afterwards, you can advance a little token on your own personal board to activate certain bonuses to combo and chain uh, certain things together. And also on your board, you have uh, kind of your resources of treatment that you are slowly building up. And then on your turn, you know, you can either 
move on your personal tableau or treat patients that you have lined up in your personal tableau as well by using these flexible resources, which are these uh, ideas of, of treatment, basically. And so you're always, you know, thinking about um, a couple of things in this game, and I, I guess kind of going into my thoughts already. Uh, let, let's start with the thematic integration. I really liked it in this game. I was drawn to it initially because of the kind of medical, uh, you know, treatment-related aspect. Uh, I've played a lot of games uh, in the last year or so. Um, games that came come to mind, ranging from uh, more light, light-hearted or you know, a lighter uh, complexity game to the heavier, include like Dice Hospital, uh, Clinic. I've played Hippocrates as well, and uh, Royal Hospital, which was another game that was on Kickstarter but was removed and is probably being worked on right now. All of these games revolve around the medical setting, more of a you know a current uh, modern day medical setting where there is always kind of a set collection or resource gathering aspect to be able to spend those to treat patients, right? And so that is kind of present in this game as well where you have uh, these ideas that are surrounded, you know, these three major ideas that you kind of upgrade uh, with these clear little tokens that you have on your board, and, and then you spend them uh, based on the requirements that each patient has. There are different layers of, of treatment phases that you go through, <laughs> almost like, you know, battling a boss, you know, you're whittling down the health uh, by spending these resources that you're gaining. And uh, so, yeah, so it was, you know, thematically that that tie in was pretty cool. And of course, a lot of things are abstracted as far as, you know, worker placement as a method of, you know, diverging your time to either, you know, travel or study or gather resources, etc. But I, I still like the theme and I liked the thematic integration as well. It kind of felt like to me. Uh, what what it would feel like if I were a treating professor or psychoanalyst back in the day, right? Um, you're in this new field; it's 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 hopping. You know, people are wanting to learn more and be treated, and so there is you know your time is very uh, precious and is uh, you know, you don't you have to learn how to efficiently um, dive you know diverge your time and and allocate your time to certain uh, actions and endeavors, right? And so I see that being reflected in real life as well. Some people in the medical field spend a lot of time treating patients, right? They, their clinical hours are, you know, near max versus those who are more academic in nature or who want to just publish or, or gather, you know, um, you know, do research and, and, and gather publications in that regard. Uh, those who travel around to teach as well, you know, like uh, the, the different avenues of playing this game, I felt reflected what it would be like to be a treating uh, doctor or, you know, psychoanalyst in this case. And so I like that, right? A lot of games do that anyway, but I, I felt like the mechanisms and the pursuits and the tightness of decisions uh, based on that worker placement board, even though it may not, you know, be exactly what it would be like in real life, you know, you can do many things in the day, right? But um, but I, I felt like that was very attuned to what it would be like in real life. The 
actual worker placement mechanism was pretty cool. Uh, there was an element of tightness when you were, you know, placing your ideas out on the board and blocking others, but also to you, you had the option to increase the strength of how many times you activated a certain action based on how many of those little idea bubble workers you placed on a certain spot. And so um, that added a layer of deep decision-making in addition to, you know, which spot you wanted to go to, how much of that spot do you want to activate, right? So um, <laughs> I, I guess this kind of led to some analysis paralysis as uh, maybe is <laughs> thematic as well uh, in in this game about uh, psychoanalysis. And so um, if I were to compare this game to another um, a game of similar weight, you know, like Arc Nova was the first one that came to mind, not because of any mechanisms or anything, but because of or, th or theme, but due to the weight of it, it's in and of itself. I felt like um, the the different areas of the board that you can do that you can you know interact with and combo with, um, even though you know it made sense thematically, it still was pretty deep. You know, thinking about all the different little choices that you would make as you would place an action on the board, it almost felt like a Lacerda game is another um, comparison that I make. So like Liz Lisboa, right? You have the, the opportunity to interact with, you know, a certain portion of the board, but um, as you do so, that chains into a smaller action, which leads to a combo, which leads to a different resource being gathered, which leads to the option to spend it to do something else as well. Lots of little choices that cascade and follow your initial major action uh, is a, an element of Lacerda games, right? And I feel like that was performed here as well. Versus Arc Nova, where everything felt a little bit more streamlined, right? You have five distinct actions to choose from. Yes, they vary in power, but you didn't have any choice as far as how to, to alter that power, unless you have some tokens to mitigate that, of course. But it, it still felt a little bit more focused and streamlined, uh, regardless of its thematic integration or everything or anything, right? In um, Unconscious Mind, the, it, 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 the decision space did feel like more of a Lacerda-type game where you did have to, you know, think a little bit ahead with your move, follow the pathway of different consequences for your major action, and then assess that and perhaps reassess based on, uh, you know, following a different course of action as well. And so that obviously would lead to analysis paralysis. And I do agree with the kind of medium heavyweight um, aspect of this game. Learning the game was, uh, was okay. You know, there are some good videos online that helped me to learn it. And of course, the thematic integration with, uh, with this game did help bridge some gaps in learning this game. And so it was pretty straightforward if you have played like Lacerda or games or Arc Nova or, or other games that are about 3.5 on the BGG scale. And so in my personal opinion, um, if you do have those kind of games under your belt, it was easy enough to uh, learn this game and uh, learn the uh, unique aspects of it. Um, it's hard to gauge the length of play in this game, 
but I do like how this game is is timered, right? Um, every time you bring, so you have a, a certain amount of workers that you can get that you can put out on the board, right? And let's say you do use all of them in a, you know, in one action, right? To perform a super action to get lots of different combos off of that one action. Uh, if you don't have any more to place, you recall them and you get certain bonuses, but that also advances the timer of the game. And so I like that. You can you can kind of control the length of game. Very similar, once again, to Arc Nova and Terraforming Mars, where there is no set round structure, um, but it is easier to kind of see, uh, you know, um, uh, ahead of time, like, oh, you know, this player is playing a lot of um, ideas onto the worker placement board. Uh, therefore, they're going to be recalling pretty soon. I see Freud, you know, it's tracked by basically Freud, Freud's head or bust, you know, traveling along this, um, this track, right? And you get certain bonuses from the, from uh, advancing this track as well as the reputation track, right? And so, and also every time you advance on that track with your own reputation, Freud, um, jumps ahead as well. <laughs> and so it, you know, it, it kind of makes me think like uh, another real life tie in as well. Um, when you, in, in the medical field, when you publish papers, um, and collaborate with others, usually the major author is listed last, right? They are the, uh, the mentor, the, the kingpin or queenpin of the study. Um, the one who does the most work is usually listed first, but the um, the overarching, you know, the, 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 um, overhead figure, you know, is, is, is placed last. And so, um, people who know, you know, they, they know this. And so they look at whoever is listed last and think, oh, you know, it's one of these, uh, this person's, you know, ideas or studies or things, something like that. And gives credence, um, to the paper. And so in this case to, to tie it into the game, like every time you advance reputation, uh, it can be seen as automatically linked to being associated with Freud, and so his reputation advances as well. And so I thought that was pretty neat. Um, but yeah, like once again, it's it's very similar to like Arc Nova. It's kind of a fluid ending to it, but um, it's it's uh, it's not abrupt, right? I feel like it's it's a lot easier to foresee the near ending of the game compared to other games that, off the top of my head, like Yokohama where sometimes uh, you're so absorbed in your own game and someone does something to trigger the end of the game that I always feel like I'm surprised <laughs> by someone taking that that end, right? So there is that. You're t you're, I, I wanted to talk about the uh, player board and, and Tableau, right? And so, uh, like I mentioned before, on your turn, you place a worker, and then you either treat a patient that you have in your Tableau uh, which, uh, you know, is kind of resource management, kind of set collection type of thing, you know. Or you get to advance your little, it's called your ink blot, or your ink uh, pot along this track, right? And this is really neat because uh, you're kind of developing a a personal tableau and a personal engine that feels very similar to Wingspan. And uh, another game that's coming out the, earlier this year, uh, later this year, which is called Earth, that I reviewed uh, earlier on, <clears throat> I don't think on this channel, but on, on something else that I did. But um, anyway, 
in in Earth in particular, but with Wingspan, which is a game that most uh, board gamers know about these days. You are building a tableau um, with three different rows, and when you take an action in one of these three different rows, you get to activate cards that have been placed on that in sequential order. Thus, you can develop a quote-unquote engine to activate certain powers, and if you can synchronize them, perhaps you, you know, gain some cards, and then you can tuck them for points with the next card that is activated. Get, you know, aches, and then spend them for something else, or resources, right? And so, during the course of Unconscious Mind, you are building this tableau that is very Wingspan-esque, where you collect these tiles from the board uh, that you can gain from combos or straight up from worker placement. Uh, you can kind of place them wherever you can. Uh, there are rules with that, of course, but um, whenever your ink pot uh, lands on a certain row, uh, or you know, it can activate a column as well, I believe, then you can you know activate those in in any order, uh, which is kind of getting those resources that you need to um, spend when treating patients primarily, but you can also gain other types of resources as well. Um, there's coffee, which is kind of a wild, not a wild resource, but a multi-use resource in this game. Uh, there's other you know things that you can collect as well, and so you can activate those based on those tiles. And they, as you get farther in the game. Uh, meaning as your and Freud's reputation um, gains uh, traction and, and improves, those tiles that you can place onto your tableau get better as well, give you more resources and, and abilities as well, and so you can make your personal tableau even better, and you know you can really um, structure a pretty neat engine during this game. So, so I like to think of it as, as combining the engine building of Wingspan and applying that to a uh, heavy <laughs> worker placement Lacerda type game, right, is kind of how I summarize this experience. Um, but yeah, so I, whenever I, you know, think about and review games, as, as the game doctor, as I have um, monikered this, uh, this podcast, I think about treatments, right, and think about things that could improve the experience for me. Of course, it's very subjective and not um, it's just one person's opinion, but, um, the element of the, uh, the Rondell board, you know, uh, certain actions that you take on the worker placement allow you to move your pawn, uh, around the city, uh, allow you to move Freud as well, which can lead to, you know, if you land at the same spot, uh, gives you more action points to take certain bonuses off of that board. There's an element of set collection as well with, uh, certain icons in each region of Vienna that you can get through worker placement, through your um, through citations as well, etc. Um, or at least those those citations that you get allow you to take more bonuses on certain areas of the board, right, of that rondelle. And so that added a, an extra element to to the decision making that I felt made it a little bit too far for me, a little bit too thinky, a little bit too much, you know, depth of of decision making that crossed my threat personal threshold into analysis paralysis, right? <laughs> and so, if that if that whole rondelle was perhaps a little bit more simplified, it would have made the um, the meat of the decision making focused around the tightness of the worker placement board, the um, set collection that you would re you would need for um, 
writing, you know, theses and and publishing those as well as treating your patients. And finally, the tile building um, arrangement of your engine on your personal tableau. And so that, I think for me personally, would have been enough to make it just deep enough to to provide a rich um, decision-making experience. But then throwing on that rondelle, it just uh, it, it created a little bit too much for me. If I had to choose one of those elements, it would be that, to, to simplify or to change. But um, with more experience, I am sure that it will not be as much of a hindrance, but it will, you know, it will serve a, a, a greater purpose in, in the enjoyment of this game, similar to, you know, different aspects of Lisboa, for example. You know, I think after a couple of plays, wrapping your head around that experience, it becomes a little bit more manageable and therefore fun. Uh, fun in the amount of decisions that you get to make. And so I really like this game. I give it an 8 out of 10. I would definitely play it again. Look forward to it being released en masse. Um, and hopefully there is a digital implementation at some point to be able to dive a little bit further into the decision space that is created in this game. And just to see where you know certain strategies uh, lead and certain avenues of play. Uh, it was very engaging. I loved the thematic and me- uh, mechanical uh, integration and, and and synergy. I thought it made sense to me. And, you know, it was just abstracted enough to be familiar m- mechanically, but also uh, it represented a what I would, uh, you know, envision the theme being in real life. And it looked great, too, of course. So those are my thoughts on unconscious mind. All right, let's talk about Underwater Cities and what I think of this game after 10 plays. So uh, this game needs no major introduction, most people know. It's a game designed by Vladimir Suhi, um, published by Delicious Games, uh, originally by Rio Grande Games, but I'm sure Delicious Games, which is Suhi's company, um, uh, can produce it. Uh, it's overall ranked 44 on Board Game Geek at the time of this recording, weighted very similarly to um, Unconscious Mind at 3.62. It, it is a game for one to four players. My plays of this have been strictly multiplayer. I, maybe maybe there's one solo play, but these have all been multiplayer available for free on Yukata, uh, which is a website very similar to Board Game Arena. Um, and so, yeah, so Underwater Cities is a worker placement game where your quote-unquote workers are these cards that you contain in your hand, right? Um, on your turn, what you do is you take a card from your hand, and there are three different colors um, on the worker placement board, and, and your cards are of three different colors. Green, um, oh, shoot, green, yellow, or, green, orange, and red, I believe. And so um, you typically take a color um, from a card with a certain color on your hand and you match it to a a similar color on the worker placement board. And each space on the worker placement board offers an action, but also each card does as well. And so you're always combining these two different um, actions that you can take on your turn. So every turn that you take feels different, right? Every turn... Um, combination of actions that you do is always different, right? 
Um, and these actions give you resources to be able to use them to build out your tableau, which is your personal underwater community. And so you place out underwater cities, um, and you also place different uh, smaller buildings such as uh, kelp farms, desalination plants, research labs, etc. Um, you bridge them all together as well, and you you know these these cities and these um, uh, like plants and and smaller buildings can be upgraded, which give you more resources um, during certain income phases of this game, uh, points as well, and then you're using these tunnels to bridge to uh, different areas like corners of the board, which allow for um, you know, extra resource gain as well as end game bonuses. In this game as well, um, you know, there's a, a communal deck that everyone draws from with these action cards that you have in your hand, but you can also pick from some cards that, uh, you know, for a cost of, of credit resources, the money in this game, uh, you can play them and they offer a, uh, a big benefit and action, you know, uh, some of these these cards are continuous actions. Some of them are one time. Some of them are um, action cards. Which, when you take certain um, actions on the board, you you know tap them and exhaust that action for whatever they say. There's also some cards in this game that you can get uh, through actions that give you um, kind of end game bonuses that you pursue for collecting certain resources or building in you know certain things, etc. And this game structure is is set. Um, everyone plays uh, three cards from their hand in sequential order onto the board. Um, they take those they take those out, and you know you you always draw to refill your hand to three at a minimum. And so after you play three cards, you take off everything from the board, repeat this two more times. You have an income phase, and then you repeat the whole cycle uh, two more times. And so. Uh, so you're in total playing, um, oh, it, or it might be four, three or four. Anyway, so you, you, you know how many turns you're taking in this game, basically. So I like this game because of the variability of certain actions that you're taking. Or I should say the, um, the opportunities to, to mix and match different actions from your cards creates a really cool decision space, right? Um, you know which actions are good on the board itself, but everything depends on what cards you have in your in your hand, right? So you can kind of think of it as like you know the first game that comes to mind is Castles of Burgundy, right? You roll your dice, you know what actions you can take, but depending on the pips of the dice, you know that de that may depend on which area of the board you may interact with, and at what strength, etc., right? Um, that can be mitigated, of course, and, and there is a little bit of mitigation here as well. If you play a mismatched card to a certain spot, you can only take one action, right? But you still have the freedom to choose, um, but you're always looking for that most efficient combination of, of card and board, right? And so that was, that, you know, that is a very rich decision space, um, that fits at this weight, right? It, um, I, I do feel like you're consistently planning your next move, what you want to accomplish by looking at the combinations that you have in your hand and hoping that no one takes a certain spot away from you. Another thing that I appreciate in this game that I appreciate in a lot of worker placement games is that um, you take a Feast for Odin, right? 
you do have in the base game 60 action or around 60 action spots that you can take but not all action spots are equal some of them are more efficient some of them are you know repeated actions that um um you know you may have to spend an extra worker to take even though it's the same thing as someone else taking that spot for one less worker and therefore you get to do more in the game right um, some other spots are not as lucrative, but, you know, may be mitigated by certain cards that you draw occupations during the game, right? In underwater cities, um, the green actions on the board are the weakest, but the cards that you have are the strongest. The orange ones are right in the middle, and then the red ones have really strong board actions, but weaker card actions, if I'm quoting or thinking about that correctly. Regardless, the, um, you know, uh, I, I liked the, the variation in strengths of certain actions. And, and there are certain actions on the board as well that you tend to want to gravitate towards first, like at the beginning of the game, too. So, so I like it when a, a worker placement game evolves based on the timing of the game. If it's the mid game or the late game, certain actions are not as fruitful as compared to others where those later actions may have not been beneficial earlier on. Another game that I think of, of course, with Rosenberg games is a, a Fields, uh, Fields of Arl, where, um, you know, it's definitely a very sandboxy game. You have lots of worker placement options out in front of you, but certain actions are more important at the beginning of the game. And then later on, things may tend to switch, right? And you start to explore different, you know, areas of the board and, um, interact with them in a way that makes sense, you know, based on the strategies that you take. And so I, I appreciate that in Underwater Cities as well. You know, I feel like earlier on you're gathering resources because you don't have that engine yet to produce the resources, resources that you need. And so you're playing cards to get the, you know, straight up raw resources from the board and then, yeah, and then building out your buildings, creating your little routes and your little tableau so that in income phases, uh, in subsequent income phases, you're getting those resources, then, and then you can focus on like getting um, other point-bearing um, actions um, finished and, and, and performed, and gathering the cards that you need to do so. And so, I, I, I like that aspect of the game. It, it didn't feel very static, you know, as far as well, you know, this spot is always good, you know, regardless of what point of the game you know, point you're, you are at in the game. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, game length can be long. You know, I've, I've seen some uh, people talk about the game length when you're playing it real time in person. It can be pretty lengthy. It doesn't feel that way when you're playing online. Um, I think a typical game could take like, I don't know, like a week or two which I guess can be long if you're playing like one turn a day. So I don't know. Um, it, it felt appropriate and it, it didn't feel too long. You know, some games feel even, even if you're, you know, taking one turn a game and you expect it to be long, some games feel pretty long, you know, when you're playing online. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about in this game was, oh, the strategies that you employ. You know, when I get to around 10 games, played of a certain game i like to take a look at the strategy forms on bgg for that game and see what people are saying about how to win you know of course it's all about fun but you know 
it, it's also fun to try to to be good at the game, right? And so a lot of people had a big discussion, of course, about the kelp strategy. The reason that kelp is seemingly very important to winning at this game is not only, you know, do you need kelp to be able to provide food for your cities, and so there's kind of that feeding uh, mechanism or just kind of requirement meeting of a certain threshold of resources that you need to, you know, avoid penalties. But you're also, if you upgrade those kelp farms, um, they give you lots of points, right? So like an upgraded kelp farm uh, or two of them in a city can give you like three points in the income phase, right? And so if you're able to get a lot of those out on the board, not only are you feeding your workers, but you're also, um, or feeding your city, but you're also um, netting a lot of uh, points being generated at the end of each income phase, right? And so a lot of people thought this was a dominant strategy uh, and, and there was no other way to go about it. However, some of the people who played this game the most, um, as right now there is no way to really get in-game statistics in Yukata to kind of analyze it like you would in Board Game Arena, uh, certain metrics of the game that, you know, winners tend to, you know, do better at, at, you know, in certain aspects, right? Um, there isn't that, but so from the subjective opinion of players who are highly ranked in Yukata, you know, they talk about the early, you know, the first um, phase of the game. So era one, right? So there are three eras, right? So the, and I like that for dissecting the game into three phases, right? The early game is about collecting resources and building that engine. Um, Era two is about, you know, deciding which avenue of, you know, getting, you know, gathering points is going to be best for you, whether it's the end game objectives that you have on your personal board, which can be different amongst the players, or by targeting certain cards that are available, like the government contracts and the special cards that are available in a market that you can purchase through actions, right? And um, pursuing those for your end game points. And so the middle game is kind of settling into a strategy and then phase three is executing that knowing that you've gathered enough engine building and resources to be able to um, um, activate and uh, execute your plans that you've been uh, formulating and putting into action during era two and so um, that seems to be the winning strategy in this game is to you know set yourself up for success um, you know prepare yourself in in every potentially every way possible and then you know looking at your options finding the most efficient and and point generating uh, methods of of end game scoring and then pursuing that and executing that in eras two and three which is really satisfying it's it's good to know that high level players don't think that there is one dominant strategy that you have to counter you know every time um, I think of like Dominion where a lot of people of course you know just get a lot of money and then spend those um, your money cards to uh, just buy the victory point cards and then just, you know, kind of aggro speed your way through to the end of the game just <laughs> and just buying those cards, you know, straight up. And so some people argue that that game, you have to counter that, right? And, and, and uh, uh, oh, you know, if this strategy, can this strategy from this expansion beat the money strategy, right? Um, I thought that that was going to be the case with Underwater Cities, but it gives me hope when I see these top-ranked players saying that, no, indeed, uh, this game is a little bit more, you know, 
Uh, every game can feel different. Every game can you can utilize a different strategy and pursue a different avenue of, you know, grabbing points and 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 comboing. Um, so it you know it feels different. the 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 journey feels different every time you take it. And of course, you get the opportunity to build out a physical underwater community, right? And so there is that satisfaction as well. It's like, oh, you know, I I have a lot of desalination plants this game, and you know, I only went um, up to this and that corner. You know, but another game will look different. And so, kind of that Agricola esque, you know, building out something physical on your board rather than just having cards or moving a track or something like that on a personal tableau. And so I really like this game. I look forward to playing it more. It's an 8 out of 10 for me as well. And um, yeah, just hope to pursue uh, some of these strategies and try to get better at this game. Um, I think um, I, I like the foundation, um, the impression, you know, the, the foundation of impressions that I've had of this game so far. I think there's a lot of depth to it, a lot of uh, mastery that is required. It's strategic as well as tactic with the combinations of cards and, and worker placement spots that you have. Um, it's a fantastic game, and it's uh, definitely in my uh, top-ranked games for sure, and it probably will continue to, to rise as I play this more. So the last portion of this episode, I'm just going to talk very briefly, rapid-fire style, of some games that I played um, for the first time uh, in December that I just want to briefly touch on that I, I thought were, were pretty neat, right? Uh, one game that I played for the first time was Planet Unknown, which is a 2022 hit. Um, it was uh, a lot of, you know, some of these plays as I prepared for the um, end of the year top 10, you know, meta list. Uh, oh, by the way, um, a listener or, or someone who saw the post, you know, made mention that the community in BGG had already um, established a larger list of, of content creators as well as uh, bloggers and posters on Board Game Geek and compiling their top 10 games of 2022 into a larger list. I will say I'm quite, you know, pleased and proud that my list, for the most part, matched up what what others had been saying. And so um, there were minor differences here and there. But Planet Unknown was one of those games that really stood out to people from last year. And so I played that um, as a solo experience on Sovranti. Uh, I, I think I mentioned it um, in the last episode, but I'll, I'll mention again that I thought this this was really fun. Um, really, I've really gotten into patchwork in the last year, and so the polyomino, you know, puzzle tile lane uh, experience is enriching to me, and 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 I find it, um, I find that decision space really interesting, and and you know, learning how to be a more spatially um, aware. Uh, player myself as I do try to get better at games like Patchwork and A Feast for Odin by Uwe Rosenberg. And so I like the combination of these uh, of tiling in this game with track advancement. Usually I'm not a big proponent of tracks, but I liked this one because, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the resources and combos that you could gather in these tracks and you had a multitude to choose from and you can kind of specialize in a few and and uh, and you're you know you're playing towards different objectives. You have different events affecting the planet as well in the solo game, um, and you also can play on asymmetric planets. And so, a lot of cool things are offered in this game. I thought it was exciting. Um, I really enjoyed that. 
uh, another game that I uh, actually got for uh, <laughs> during the Bor- uh, Barnes and Noble um, sale was Cascadia. Uh, I had played it on Tabletop Simulator as a solo game and thought it was good, you know, like a six or seven out of ten. Um, but of course, it was uh, the um, Spiel des Jahres winner from last year or from 2021. And therefore, you know, people had been, you know, praising this game for a while. And I thought it was, you know, light enough, but still had enough of a crunch to the decision space that I thought it would be worth getting and playing with uh, family and friends. And it was a good, it was a hit. You know, it. I think it does, for me, it did suffer a little bit from the length of play for what the game actually offered. Um, I, I don't know if it was just a little late at night or something, but I wish it was a little bit shorter. However, um, I still really enjoyed the, the, the decisions that you had to make and the, you know, the tactical nature of placing the tiles. I liked the, the combination, uh, combined or intertwined drafting. Right. And, um, yeah, it, it was fun and it's a, it's a game that is, you know, difficult to master, I think. And so really enjoyed Cascadia. Um, I think I've talked about Autobahn before. Uh, it was another game that I played uh, for the first time that was on my list from last year to play. It was, you know, I thought it was going to be an experience like Brass, and I think it is, but there's a lot more going on to it. Or to me, at least, it, it felt like it was a, a really complex experience for a first timer to play, unlike the elegance that is Brass, right? And so I think it definitely warrants some more plays to see if um, it does make sense and if the interaction um, element of this game uh, is good enough to um, account for the rules complexity offered in this game. And also there's this new game that's coming out this year, 2023, called Rauha, I believe, that is available on Board Game Arena. It's in alpha right now. Maybe it's in beta but uh, it's it's a game from the same publishers as Nidavellir. And so that, you know, Nidavellir is a good game, and I really enjoy it. It's simple enough to learn and, and easy enough to play with a wider range of people, but it still offered a, you know, an interesting, you know, bidding mechanism and interaction with, with different players. Uh, and so I was curious to see what this game had to offer. And it was, uh, I, I, li- I liked the game. It, it felt very similar weight-wise and complexity-wise compared to Nidavellir, where you have a, you know, a three-by-three grid in front of you. Um, you're drafting tiles, um, uh, you know, your, you know, just draft style of, of tiles that you place on the board, and you're trying to get, you know, columns and rows uh, filled out with certain symbols to, you know, activate different, uh, you know, these, these gods or these, uh, um, I, I, I like to think of them as the, um, nobles in splendor right that if you have enough of those resources then you can grab them for extra points and in this game kind of similar if you have a certain run of of icons on your tableau then you can pick up that god and activate them for powers and things like that Uh, similar to nidavellir where you know if you have one of everything then you get to collect certain you know hero dwarves or whatever and so there is that element um you get you know the game progresses as you in the first round you activate the first column and all of the actions that are on those tiles the second column or the second round 
after you draft and place a tile, you activate the second column, and so on and so forth. And so that influences where you place tiles in addition to trying to get um, those those gods and, and activate them and have them be on your side by, you know, activating certain rows. So, so there is that tension of where should I place these tiles? Can I afford these tiles? Should I place them here to activate the god? Or should I place them... Uh, in this row, you know, because it's now this turn where, you know, all of these tiles are going to get activated. Should I do that instead? So really, and it was fairly quick as well. And so it was a really good experience. I, I really enjoyed it. Seven out of 10. Um, can't wait for this game to be talked about a little bit more as it, you know, leaves board game arena and uh, becomes a physical game that you can buy. The final game that I wanted to talk about was Age of Civilization which is also on Board Game Arena in beta currently. Um, this was a very interesting, like, card-based, civilization-themed game where um, it's almost like a, you know, a, a civ game in 20 minutes, right? So, like, a tiny epic type of game where um, you have, uh, like, this uh, certain actions that you can take that are, you know, abstracted to... Um, Civ themed things, you know, build a wonder, research, etc. And so you have an aspect, and, and then as you advance this action card, it matches with uh, certain other actions that you take throughout the game. Um, you know, at that point of time, which is always going to be different, whether it's going to be early or later in the game. Uh, but then as you move your main action card to the left throughout the game, you lose the opportunity to take some of those actions uh, that are in this row of, of actions. <laughs> saying actions a lot um, later on in the game. Uh, and so, uh, and, and this game is very quick, right? It's like 20 minutes long. And these actions will allow you to get gain resources to either, uh, like like coins, to, to be able to build wonders or to take certain actions uh, in this game that give you points. Uh, you can get research icons and move up a, a small little track of, of research to give you some, some benefits and efficiency. Um, efficiencies you know during the game and then finally like at the beginning of each round uh, you have the or most rounds you have the opportunity to draft from a set of civilizations that give you either a bonus a one-time bonus um, action that that will you know allow you to be more efficient during this action particular action but also can give you some like um uh continuous benefits throughout the rest rest of the game and there's a lot of variety in there's a variety in in the combination of actions that you can take very similar to Ottawa which is hopefully a game I get to play soon <laughs> and um, as well as uh, you know any any game that offers variability with um, a certain market of cards that are different each time and so it's a very small game but I I, I really I, I liked how quick it was. Um, I thought there was, you know, just enough of a decision uh, depth to it that made it feel crunchy. And of course, I lost every game that I played. And so to me, that uh, it makes it feel like there is mastery of this game as well, even though it's very short. And so I think if you like tiny epic games, which offer a good amount of crunch for a small, short game, uh, you know, if you're in the mood to play a, such, such a game, like in between games or or what have you, or if if the the people that you play with, you know, would like to have that uh, slightly more complex experience, but in a shorter amount of time, 
and enjoy games like these, you know, like type tiny epic galaxies and et cetera, then perhaps age of civilization might scratch that itch. If you're feeling like a Civ themed game. So seven out of 10 for me, uh, but I definitely want to play this more and, and see what more this game has to offer basically. <laughs> and that's about it. So those are the games that I played in December. Um, moving forward, uh, I'm not going to post a poll for uh, games that uh, you guys can vote on for the next month for two reasons. One, I'm feeling pretty motivated to to kind of catch up on some 2022 games. Um, you know, a lot of the games that were highly rated and listed on the lists from the top games of 2022, I want to kind of complete those. Some of those games were um, games that did not win in those previous polls that I posted. And some of them were games that I had originally on my like Essen and, and Gen Con lists that I still haven't played yet. And so I want to kind of get those out of the way before I turn it back over to you guys to to decide, help me decide uh, which games to focus on. But also, you know, some major life events are going to occur. We're having our um, second kid. And so so uh, time will be dedicated to that. <laughs> and I probably won't have a lot of time, perhaps in the foreseeable future, to dedicate to trying new games out, uh, or at least games that are like on tabletop simulator or otherwise or physically. Um, it most likely will be games that are available easily on like Board Game Arena or in other uh, scripted digital formats. And so I might focus my efforts there and, and perhaps um, some uh, podcast episodes may be absent uh, from my end. And so we'll, we'll see what happens uh, for the, the near future. Um, I do plan on releasing another Rosen blog uh, later this month. I have some fun topics to discuss and some new, some news and some, uh, some, um, theories and, and, and concepts that I, that I have for future, uh, predictions that I have for future, uh, Rosenberg games. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so that'll be fun. And that'll be the last episode of January that I'll post out here in a week or two. And, and then, uh, after that, we'll see, but thank you for sticking to the end if you have so. And, uh, thanks for your input and, and comments on the board game geek blog post. Uh, for now, that's going to be the hub for this podcast if you'd like to interact with me. Um, but thank you very much for um, listening. I hope your 2023 continues to be great. And I will catch you on the next one.